0: time for our children's moment. If we have any children in the sanctuary who want to come up and join me up here, please do. And if you're worshiping from home, just move a little bit closer to your screens and we'll share a moment together. Yay, come on up. So glad to see you. What a happy day for your family. Baptism. Oh, look at that. Looks like a cupcake. You're right. Good morning everybody so glad to see you. You're very smart to be wearing rain boots. It's pretty rainy out there, isn't it? Yeah, I don't either. I need to get some. So, we've just heard a story about King David. King David was a really important person in the Bible, and he was a very strong and successful king. But in this story, he doesn't look like a king at all he's taken off his crown, he's taken off all of his kingly robes, and he is just dancing before God because he loves God so much. And that inspires me because I want to love God like that. And I want to just be able to worship God and and not think about what other people might think. There was a person in this story who saw David doing that, just worshiping with his whole heart and dancing and And she thought, he looks really silly. And she told him that. You look so silly out there. And you know what he said? He said, I don't care. I was doing it for God. And that reminds me that, you know, when we are doing something for God, when we're doing the right thing, when we're being kind, when we're loving God, dancing for God, telling the truth, whatever it may be, it doesn't matter what other people think as long as we do the right thing and we do it for God. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you for this story about King David It shows us how much he loved you. Now he was willing to worship you no matter what other people thought of him. Help us to be brave and to follow you and to be loving and kind and tell the truth no matter what other people think because you are the one who matters the most. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. If you are three, four, or five, you can go to Children's Church with Pastor Maggie, who's waving over by the door. And if you're not three, four, or five, you can go back and sit with your families or friends. Thank you so much. At the 845 service, instead of the children's moment, our third graders got their Bibles. So there are two of those Bibles still on the altar table so you can see them. And I shared with our third graders that one of the things I love about the Bible is that we get all different kinds of stories about people. And that's true when it comes to King David. We have stories about David that show us how much he loved God and how in so many ways he was a great hero. But then we also have stories about David that show that he wasn't perfect, that he made a lot of mistakes, and all of that gets passed down to us. One of the things we know about King David that is told to us in Scripture is that he was a man after God's own heart, that he loved God with his whole being. So many of our psalms are attributed to David, psalms of love and gratitude, psalms expressing anger and grief toward God, just showing us the the way that David poured his heart out before God again and again. We hear about his greatness as a king and um, how he was kind and compassionate in so many ways. But we also hear about David's weaknesses, and how imperfect he was. Perhaps the best-known story is how he sinned against Bathsheba and then had her husband killed in battle and tried to cover it all up until he was confronted by the prophet Nathan. There are ways to read some of David's decisions that, that reveal him to be a very savvy politician, perhaps somewhat manipulative. Before he became king, he was a mercenary soldier and even perhaps a double agent. And then as he got older, he got more complacent and more enamored with his own power. And eventually his sons fought against each other and the kingdom began to collapse. So David is a complicated character. We see the good, the bad, and the ugly passed down to us in the scriptures for which I am deeply grateful. And I am grateful that this morning We get to hear this story when I believe David is at his best. He is full on, wholeheartedly, full-bodiedly worshiping the God whom he loves with all his heart. What is he dancing about? What is happening in this story? Well, he is bringing the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem for the very first time. Up until this point in history, there had not been a capital of of Israel, and David wants to make Jerusalem the capital, where he will have his palace, which hasn't been built yet, and where there will be a temple of worship to God, which also hasn't been built yet. And so he decides that in order to do that, he wants to bring the Ark of the Covenant into the city. Now the ark was something that had been built for the Israelites as they traveled through the wilderness for 40 years. It was believed to contain in some mysterious way the presence of God. Not to to contain it completely, not putting God in a box, but somehow conveying the spirit of God that would go before them on their journey. It, once they came into the promised land was in Shiloh where the priest Eli tended to it in that generation. But David decides it's time to move it to Jerusalem. Now it takes this circuitous route. It's captured by the Philistines for a little while, but it wreaks such havoc in their ranks that they give it back, which is kind of a funny part of the story. But in this moment that we heard about this morning, it's arriving in Jerusalem. And did you notice what David did to welcome the ark into Jerusalem. As I said to the children, he removed all of his kingly trappings and wore only a linen ephod, which was an outer garment that the Levites, the priests, would have worn. It's as if he's consecrating himself just for this purpose, to be in the presence of God in the ark. Now, what may not be so clear in the story is that he's wearing this sleeveless tunic, this ephod, and nothing else. So it's a little mm, little a exposed, a little shameless. It's making the choir laugh back there. So the, the picture on the bulletin is not quite accurate. There's no purple robe involved. It's just the ephod. David is making himself vulnerable, nearly naked before God, because it is his way of worshiping and offering his full self to God. He is dancing as if nobody but God is watching. But there is somebody watching. She's in the picture in the bulletin, off to the side, looking from behind a curtain. His wife, Michael, and she is not happy. She looks upon David with scorn. She says that what he is doing is vulgar and shameless. It is indecent. Those are her reasons for disapproving of what he's doing. Now, to be fair, Michael has her own story. She, too, is a three-dimensional character. And if you're curious, I would invite you to go and read a little bit more about Michael. There may be some reasons why she's disdainful of David in this moment. But she sees his act of worship and scoffs at it. It makes me think about that moment in Jesus' ministry when he is... At dinner, in the home of one of the religious leaders, a room full of men, because that was the rule, that was what was appropriate, when in walks a woman, breaking all codes of decency, shamelessly coming in and throwing herself at Jesus' feet. She breaks open an alabaster jar and begins to anoint him and to dry her tears with her hair. And Jesus' host, who is a religious leader representing decorum and decency, says, how can you let her do that? Do you not know what kind of woman she is? Not only is it shameless for her to come into this room while we're all having dinner, but her very person is shameful. So we have this woman who's offering herself, her love, her adoration, pouring out her heart before Jesus and we have the religious leader who scorns her. We have David who is dancing wholeheartedly before God, pouring himself out in worship, and we have Michael who scorns him. And that lays out before me the question, am I more like David and this unnamed woman or am I more like Michael and the religious leader? Is there within me at times that spirit of, of judgment, of we gotta keep order. Things have to be, have to be decent and decorum and, and we have to be polite. We can't be too, you know, crazy. Can't be too weird when it comes to church. I wonder, is that spirit at work in me at times, in us at times? The story goes on, David comes home and Michael comes out of the house to greet him, and you may have heard it as Patrick was reading it, the sarcasm in her voice, well, what a great spectacle the king of Israel made of himself today, dancing half naked in front of everybody. You must be so proud. I know I am. That wasn't in the scriptures, that was my ad lib, but you know, you get the idea. That's the spirit with which she says it. But David responds to her, you know what? I will make myself even more contemptible for God. I will make myself even more indecent, more shameless, more vile. If that's what it takes to love God and love others with my whole heart. You know, John Wesley quoted that verse. Early on in his ministry, he was ordained in the Anglican church. And in the Church of England, it was very clear that if you were a priest, you could preach from the pulpit of your church, you could do ministry in, within the boundaries of your parish, but you didn't cross over into someone else's parish, and you didn't preach in someone else's church, unless you were invited, of course. And you certainly didn't just preach willy-nilly in the middle of nowhere. But John Wesley was invited repeatedly by George Whitfield to come to the outskirts of Bristol, where there was a large community of coal miners and their families and and people struggling and living in poverty, who, who weren't being welcomed into the churches, who weren't hearing the good news of Jesus Christ. And John Wesley wrote in his journal that initially he felt that, and he was being sarcastic toward himself, I used to think that souls could only be saved within the four walls of a church. But then, I submitted to become more vile. I decided I would become more contemptible and step out into the fields and preach the gospel. And the first time he preached, there were 3,000 people and the Methodist movement took off. He decided to become more vile. Are there times when our politeness, our decency, our desire to keep things in order get in the way of the power of the gospel reaching the world. I think about that group of seven or eight white pastors who wrote a letter to Martin Luther King Jr. as he was in the Birmingham jail. They were with him, they said. We're we are with you, we support desegregation, we support voting rights, we support the Civil Rights Act, but you're moving too fast. You're stirring up too much trouble, you're making people uneasy and uncomfortable. Why don't you tone it down a little bit? You'll, you'll reach more people that way. You'll get further in the long run if you just wait, just... And thank goodness Martin Luther King Jr. did not wait and his letter from a Birmingham jail is a response to that letter he received from, from good-hearted, well-meaning leaders of the white church. And I have to wonder, would I, back then, would I have signed that letter? I'd like to say no, I wouldn't have. I would like to, today, look at king david dancing his heart out in front of the ark of the covenant to look at that woman pouring out that expensive ointment in gratitude and love for jesus to look at john wesley stepping out into the fields and breaking the rules of decorum in the anglican church while the authorities looked on and scoffed to look at the courage of martin luther king jr who refused to allow those in power to hold him back from what God was calling him to do. I want to look at them and go out and dance as if nobody but God was watching.